I think what's really important in terms of building a strategy, especially in the DEI space, is how you do it in a really inclusive way. So how do you make sure that you get input from as broad a range of voices across your organization? And some organizations even go outside of that and speak to their customers to create something that's really powerful, but also that everyone's really bought into. Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today, we're doing something a little different. Kerry and I sit down to answer a grab bag of commonly asked questions regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion. We do a lot of work in this space, and we thought it would be valuable to speak to some of the frequently asked questions that come up from clients during this process. So if you're curious about how to prevent your DE and I efforts being tokenistic, if you want to know what great diversity, equity, and inclusion looks like for businesses, want to know how you go about building a measurement framework, then this is the episode for you. And of course, if any of this sparks a uh, hint of curiosity and you want to have a conversation with us about DEI strategy or inclusive leadership, you can always shoot us an email. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Okay, welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today, we are doing something a little bit different. We've been working lots in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it's probably the area that we get asked the most questions about. So what we've decided to do is to record a session focused specifically on answering those questions. And hopefully you'll get some really useful ways of thinking about DE&I, and also thinking about how you can get your business doing more in the DE&I space. So we thought it would be useful to start by just defining terms. What do we mean when we're talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion? Cool. So um, really basic definitions here. Diversity we like to bubble that up to the way the way people see the world, the difference in the way people see the world. And that's obviously impacted by many, many, many different factors. So these uh, include, but definitely aren't limited to things like race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, your age, social class, um, where you live, um, whether you've got kids or not. There's a, there's a broad and deep spectrum of things which make up the, the diversity of human experience. And obviously, we all come to life with our perspectives based on that range of experience and our traits. Um, so yeah, that's anything to add on that, Kerry? No, pretty spot on. Um, so equity as the sort of second part of the um, D, E and I um, is the process of recognizing that there are advantages that some people um, enjoy uh, and there are barriers that exist for other people. And how do we create a starting place for everybody? How do we create equity of opportunity? So how do we, how do we give everybody the same opportunity to thrive, to express themselves um, and to ultimately, you know, enjoy the same, uh, the same potential um, in our, in our workplaces. And finally, inclusion. So this is the act of, uh, you know, all stepping into and deliberately um, making people feel part of a group or a collective. So everyone's afforded the same rights, the same opportunities, um, and the same, uh, you know, the same airtime. So a couple of, you know, a few real basic definitions there, but it's always good to, to get the, uh, you know, get the groundwork done before we start diving into this topic. Um, again, anything to add on any of those, Kerry, before we jump into the questions? No, I think they're pretty spot on. I think just for me, the fact that we're really enjoying working in this area and for us, or certainly for me, and Phil, I'll let you add in, mm. but the passion just comes from the fact that 
you really get to understand more about yourself and each other. So in all of the work that we're doing, every time we run a workshop, whether it's building strategy or whether it's a training workshop, we learn so much in every single session. Um, and I think this is has been or is for me one of the most insightful areas that, that we get to, to work in and just have really loved being able to be part of it. Actually, do you know what I think would be handy, um, and maybe you could uh, you could speak to this, but just the concept of um, humility, compassion, and curiosity that we talk to when we start doing this work with organisations, because I think really that that sort of sets the scene and the frame for how we how we view um, DE and I. Yeah, and I think it's a really interesting one because when we both came to this space, one of the things we found was there was so much negativity and shame in terms of how people looked at DE and I. So the sort of traditional models around one day unconscious bias training that you're bad, you've got unconscious bias, let's look at how we fix you, um, really just brought such a negative feel to it. And we just don't see it in that way. We think it's a really positive, really positive opportunity to be part of something in the DNI space. And the terms Phil just mentioned there around humility, um, curiosity and compassion is really what we frame everything that we do every time we have a session with a client. And that's about three things. So humility, about accepting that we definitely don't know everything and that we've all got lots to learn. Curiosity, which is about seeking to understand more about both ourselves and each other. And then compassion, which is being kind to, again, ourselves and each other. But we're all going to get things wrong as we try and play in this area. We're all going to say things that aren't maybe phrased correctly, but we can't let that be a barrier because otherwise we don't have the conversations that need to be had so really trying to assume positive intent when you're engaging in these conversations and yeah that, that compassion that kindness for ourselves and each other is really important mm. great should we dive into the questions yeah i think let's do it so the first question that we get asked a lot and i think it's a really good framing for the session as well which is why does diversity and inclusion matter and how do I get people that are maybe a skeptic? How do I persuade those skeptics that it's really important that we put a focus on D&I in our organization? Hmm. I think where, where we start to think um, think about answering that question or, or helping, helping, you know, usually this is coming from somebody who wants to kick off a D&I project in their organization but doesn't necessarily have the buy-in. But where is that skepticism coming from? And, and what does that person you know what um what frames or or what uh, views do they currently hold about de and i um and what are they motivated by and we have a really simple model for for talking about diversity equity and inclusion um and and making the case for it and it's the responsibility the opportunity and the risk so our ror model so the responsibility um some people are motivated by the fact that it's just the deeply human thing to do to create an environment that's that's equitable that's inclusive where everybody feels they belong where um you know we all have the the capacity to thrive many people are just turned on by by that argument and and, and you know understandably so um, we know that 76% of people believe that their organizations should be actively engaging in this work. Yeah, ab absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the second part of the the second part of the equation that, that again certain people might be more motivated by is the opportunity and the results are kind of in around uh, diversity equity and inclusion um we've got endless stats and we won't pepper you with them all today i don't know kerry if you've got any off the top of your head but um 
diverse, equitable, inclusive organizations tend to um, overall outperform um, organizations that don't score highly on those uh, on those dimensions, but they lead to greater amounts of innovation, they lead to better decision making, they lead to better employee engagement, um, better relationships with, with suppliers and partners, just so many different ways in which it shows up in organizational life to um, drive results, drive business results. And again, that, that could be a checkbox for, for, for somebody you're trying, to, you're trying to sort of make the case to around this. Yeah, and if you're stat-minded like me, um, which is why Phil mentioned I'll probably know the stats, it's 35%. So organizations that are diverse and inclusive outperform the market from a financial perspective by 35%. Mm. And if you want any of the other stats, uh, that prove the importance of DEI in organizations, get in touch because we do have a diversity, equity, and inclusion business case that we mm. can help support you with. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll put a link to the email address you can shoot a note to in the uh, in the show notes. Um, and the final the final component is the the risk. So um, we know that organisations who aren't paying attention to this are at risk both from a um, well uh, employee engagement perspective and and a results perspective, but also um, reputational, um, uh, legal, financial. Um, there are so many ways in which creating, you know, inequitable environments where there is high amounts of bias, where there are uh, high amounts of discrimination um, can really come back and, and hurt an organization. Uh, you only have to look at, um, you know, a, a sort of example that's been wheeled out a number of times, but it, but it illustrates the point nicely was during the, um, you know, when the racial justice movement kicked off um, at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic over in the States. And um, lots of organizations were posting, you know, black squares on Instagram. It doesn't take very long for people to look at the organization, even just look at the composition of the senior leadership team and the board and then start going, hey, hang on, wait a minute, what's what's actually going on here? Um, and you know, the, the, the reputational damage to those organizations because of that um, is very, very real. So if, if you're going to take a stance on these, uh, on, you know, on matters of, of equity and, and inclusion, um, you best be walking your walk before you talk the talk, um, I think is the, uh, the key lesson there. Yeah. And I think just to bring it back to the question that we do get asked, which is how do I, how do I convince those skeptics? It's absolutely what Phil said at the start there, which is understanding which of those areas might motivate people the most, whether it's opportunity whether it's risk, and then also thinking about it, yes, we just talk them from a business perspective, but also for them as an individual. Mm. So all of those apply absolutely to individuals as well. So the risk of not understanding this area and your, your personal brand and the reputation there, the opportunity around future career progression, we know that inclusive leadership is one of the key traits of future leaders. So not only can we talk about it at an organizational level, but we can also start to relate it directly to individuals and the benefits for them. And giving people an experience of it and, and, a, and a bit of a, um, I sort of hate to use the term education, but people don't know what they don't know. And, and for, for individuals who might, again, come to, come to this, you know, come to this topic with um, some preconceived ideas about what DE&I is, maybe they went to that kind of, you know, slightly ineffective and, and not very great, uh, you know, one day unconscious bias training they did a few years ago at an organization. And, and that's the lens they hold about it. That, that's all they think it is. Actually, um, broadening their horizons, getting grounded in what we actually mean by DE and I, and the potential of it, um, and, and giving them a direct experience of that through some workshops, through some conversations, can be um, can be a really powerful way of doing it. So, if there's a way you can, um, I guess, without without going 
first sort of like wholesale transformation right off the bat if you can give a uh, an experience to, to individuals in the organization that can turn on some light bulbs really really quickly cool uh, anything else on that one I, I feel like i feel like all of these questions we could probably do an entire podcast on we might we might have to circle back and do that at some point um all right, the next one we've got on our list. Um, so we haven't done anything in, in the DE and I space before. Where do, we, where do we start? What do we do first? Yeah, it's a question we get a lot. And it's, I guess most organizations, it's not necessarily that they haven't done anything because the vast majority of organizations, when they're realistic, have done, most of them have done something. So they might have done an event for Pride or an event for Mental Health Day, but it's more they haven't done anything sort of at a bigger picture level and, and being more targeted and focused on their approach. And I guess we both have strategist backgrounds. So we would always say the ideal place to start is with a strategy. Um, and the work that we tend to do with clients is around a six week strategy sprint. So to get very quickly to a strategy that enables you to be really clear about what it is that you're trying to achieve. What is the vision? What, what does your organization commit to in this area? And then how am I going to do it in a way that creates the biggest impact? I think what's really important in terms of building a strategy, especially in the DNI space, is how you do it in a really inclusive way. So how do you make sure that you get input from as broad a range of voices across your organization? And some organizations even go outside of that and speak to their customers to create something that's really powerful, but also that everyone's really bought into. So our, our ideal starting point would be a process to determine a strategy. Some organizations either can't get buy-in or can't commit to something like that for, for any number of reasons. If that were the case, then I would say just start somewhere. Um, just getting moving on this train is so important. And what we often find is if you can start with one thing, so there's an organization that we've worked with where the first point that we worked with them was an inclusive hiring workshop. So they were struggling with their hiring. They were getting... 90% white men through in their hiring process and they weren't managing to build a diverse organization. So that was their real focus. And we ran a simple one day workshop with them to look at how we do more inclusive hiring. But by going through that process, it really opened everyone's minds to the importance of it and how much of a difference it could have, not just within the recruitment process, but more broadly across the organization. And actually the person that ran that, that got us in for that process was really smart because what they did was they, they knew that was going to happen. They wanted to do a strategy process. And by having enabled, to Phil's point earlier about that experience and understanding more about what we really mean when we're talking about this area, we were then able to go in and, and help support with a strategy. So mm. yeah, my, my view would be in an ideal world, we start with a strategy and we get really clear on what we're doing and how we can make the biggest impact. Um, yeah, in a, in a less ideal world, just do something and get started and hopefully you can prove the impact of that and people can see the benefit and it becomes a, a snowball effect and then you get to, to do more over time. Mm. I'm sure you've got more thoughts. Uh, just a couple. Um, I, I was just reflecting back on the first question and, and, you know, how do you make the case to the skeptics? It's sometimes not even making the case to the skeptics, but it's, it's you know, that, that first just kickoff piece of work can be the thing that um, actually puts it on the radar of people who um, aren't necessarily skeptical about it, but just it, it's not been forefront of their mind. And two aspects of the um you know of, of the strategy process that we run you sort of pop into my head in terms of um 
you know, where do we start? So organizations sometimes start with, they start from the burning platform, they start from the problem. So, um, so many of the, the pieces of strategy work we've done have been off the back of, hey, we've run our, um, we've run our um, uh, inclusion survey or we've run our employee engagement survey and it's highlighted X, Y, and Z. And we, this is a problem and we, and we need to come up with a way to, uh, to address this and, and to, to, to get some change in the organization. So it starts with, you know, it can, it can start with data. So I'd, I'd say that's a, a tactical, practical thing you can do. If you, if you don't know what you don't know, running, uh, running some kind of survey um, is, a, is a wonderful way to, to, to get a starting point. Um, the, other, the other way, um, the other place to start if you don't necessarily have the data or you do have the data um, is, is with a vision, is, is with, a, you know, especially at that, the sort of senior levels of the organization, if there is an ambition for where they want to get to, um, often that can be a great kickoff point for, for DE&I. So, so thinking about and stepping into the space of, okay, you know, what does it mean to be an inclusive, equitable organization and, and how quickly do we want to get there? So, um, yeah, just a couple of, couple of additional sort of points there but um i think kerry's i think she said it beautifully there the just starting is uh, is is often the uh, is often the best thing to do perfect okay so one of the other questions we get a lot and we tend to actually get this more from within organizations at more junior levels actually which is so often dear and i um strategies or approaches are seen as tokenistic how do we work with organizations to prevent these being tick box projects how do we make sure these are real within organizations mm. i think linking it back so so the the linking it back to values and linking it back to what we you know uh, truly to organizational culture and, and to an ambition of what we want the organization to be and making that clear for people um i think is um i think is a, is a great way to sort of frame and think about this um again there will be some people who are compliance motivated or just see this as the thing that they need to do and they'll they'll sign off on some on some de and i work because you know because they think that's what they should do and that's where it kind of becomes a bit tokenistic i think when it comes from a place of, of truly connecting to this is how we want our culture to be um and telling that story um uh, you know in in how we communicate and how we frame up any of the work that's happening um is a is a great way of ensuring that it's that it's not tokenistic or, or tick box I, I think it's it, it boils down to intention it, it boils down to what you know what is the intention of the of the work we're doing and how much have we how much have we thought about it and connected to it I don't know Carrie have you got anything else yeah I think the only addition would be about how you then also hold people accountable to it so it's not just something that you say but it's something that you actually do so mm. we always encourage certainly leadership if not broader KPIs in this space how do you and ideally even incentivizing against those KPIs so how do you actually build it into the whole accountability mechanisms across the organization to make sure it happens because i think that i think that's what people worry about we when you go in you launch a strategy or you talk about a new initiative whether it's actually going to happen and actually going to make a difference so mm. actually linking it back and making sure we ideally we embed it into business strategy so we mm. try and get the business strategy to have goals around this area as well so i think yeah how you can how you can make it inherent within the organization versus something that sits slightly separately and i suspect we're going to end up talking a lot more about that as the conversation goes on here mm -hmm. 
next question uh I'll let you start on this one because this this is, might be the hardest question in the in the grab bag here but it's one we get quite a lot is is what does great dni look like you know what what should we be striving for can you show us some organizations that are doing this awesome you know what does and <laughs> this is this is about as broad a question as you could ask but yeah Kerry, what does great dni look like yeah and like we do we love this one because what we the way we talk about this really is through our maturity spectrum so if you imagine a scale from starting out in diversity and inclusion as this level one all the way through to the best what we would count as best case diversity and inclusion at level five level one really is compliance so that's organizations that are just doing the bare minimum that they have to do to get by so yeah they've got the modern slavery act um, they'll have a policy around that. They'll have a policy around discrimination and harassment, but they're not really doing a huge amount more. If you think about level two, then that's getting into silos. So that's where organizations, they might celebrate pride or they might do something for International Women's Day, but there's no strategy around the work that they're doing in this space. Level three then is about embedding DNI into your talent strategy. So it's probably headed up by your chief people officer or a head of DNI, and you might have a budget, but it sits within the talent budget. So really important step at level three, being embedded within, within talent, but it doesn't use the full um, or receive the full benefits of DNI. And that starts to occur when we get to level four, which is where we're thinking about um, business strategy. And how can we link diversity, equity, and inclusion into that? How can we see it as a driver of product, a driver of innovation, um, a driver across more than just people, but also around process and positioning? And, and yeah, really as a lever across the whole organization. And at that point, it seemed responsibility and accountability tends to be the ELT or even the CEO and, and having conversations at that level. And then where it gets the most exciting is when we get to level five, which we describe as disruption and advocacy. And this is where rather than just thinking internally about what you can do in DNI, you think externally. So how can you support organizations more broadly, not just your own organization? So lots of companies do things like internship programs to support underrepresented groups here, or they look at the suppliers they use and make sure that those suppliers are in line um, with their DNI vision. So really in terms of what best in class looks like it's 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 those that level five i think what's really important to say is of course it's a journey and before you can start talking externally at level four like you might around your positioning in dni you need to have the earlier stages in place you need mm. to make sure that you're actually actively preaching it internally and living it internally first but when you start to get up to level five that's where you see real real organizational results as well so next question we get asked, which again is a, is quite a quite a broad one. So you're getting all the difficult ones here, Kerry. Um, <laughs> where can organizations go wrong with DE and I? What are what are some of the watchouts? Yeah, perfect. I've got a few thoughts that spring to mind, and I suspect you will have others to add. But the first one is approaching DE and I either just from a top-down perspective. So just like what do we need to do from a leadership team and thinking about this with the leadership team? or the opposite, and just focusing on the people in the business and not thinking about the leadership team. So if we take each of those, and I guess our view on that is both are absolutely vital because it's the whole organization that we need to be looking at. But if we just take those two separately for a sec and think about their importance, the top-down part and the leadership team part, of course, they need to be able to role model what this looks like. And we, as we talked to earlier, we need to be able to hold them accountable and actually making sure this happens. So if we're not working on the leadership team, if we don't have the leadership team on board, then anything that we do in this space feels risks feeling tokenistic, again, as we spoke to earlier, but also it's really hard to make it happen over the long term. 
So have to have the top-down element. But if we just have top-down and we don't have the bottom-up part and the actual rest of the organization and the voices across the organization, then we're missing the, the really key information about what's required and what we need to do in this space. So the watch out there is making sure that you've got the balance between, yes, having our leaders on board, yes, having them involved, but also having the voice of the organization in terms of the plans that we make and what we decide to do. And for us, when we run our strategy sprints, what we do is we make sure we get all of those voices across the organization. And ideally, we create some kind of employee resource group or a steering group, whatever terminology you want to use. And we work with them first to build the strategy and really use all of that insight that we've gathered to build that strategy. And then we run separate workshops where we work with the leadership teams to get them on board and to get them working through the strategy and understanding what it means for them. Yes, in terms of their teams and divisions, but also what it really means for them as individuals. So that's the first thing that springs to mind is not doing both top down and bottom up. The second thing that springs to mind is thinking this is a quick fix and not seeing it as a journey. So mm. I guess as with any change, um, it's not organizations that change, it's people that change, the age old, age -old change management mandate. Um, and, and we have to work with that. And the fact that everyone's at a different stage on this. So how do we help people move along that journey? Because for many people, this is still a new concept. People still take it back to them personally. Does this mean I'm going to miss out? If we're an equitable organization and we're giving additional support to people in traditionally underrepresented groups, does that mean I'm going to miss out? What about me? And it's very easy in that um, scenario to jump to judgment and to feel annoyed at those people and frustrated at those people because they might be slowing down your um, slowing down your progress or feel like you're holding the organization back. But we really have to make specific plans for people and understand that this is a, ch a significant change for many people within the organization. Mm. And we know that a good number of people will resist change efforts, even ones that benefit them um, because just because it's change, because, because, you know, a good humans are to a certain extent wired to, wired to um, resist change. And, and yeah, no matter if this will directly benefit them and, and this applies to any change effort, people will resist sometimes. So I think appreciating that as a, as a point is a, is a good idea. The one other one I would say, um, and actually most of the organizations we work with are good, really good at this, but accepting it's going to cost some money. So putting a budget behind it, this can't just be a one-off strategy process. If you're going to truly do diversity, equity, and inclusion well, you're going to have to invest in training, in events, um, in workshops, whatever that might look like. But to have a real commitment to this, it can't just be, yeah, we've got a diversity and inclusion vision. You have to be able to support it and back it up. And people too. So, so, so many of the, so many of the organizations we work with, we come in and there's, there's some kind of steering group, working group, um, diversity and inclusion committee. And these are passionate people just doing this on top of their day jobs, to, to, to be frank, 99% of the time they're, that they've not had, you know, hey, here's 20% of your role carved out to do this. They're doing it because they believe in it and they're, you know, they're passionate about it. So, um, you know what what often happens is people look at after this sort of process at like okay we need to bring on a d d and i lead or we need to we need to make space for people to engage in this work um one more thing i think that's worth saying here is around not trying to do everything at once so not going for shooting for wholesale transformation is is where is where organizations i think with any change often trip up you know the the, the stats on 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 digital transformation or the, the stats on organizational transformation are, are kind of paralleled in, in d and i as well i think it's you know 80 something percent of digital transformations fail out of the out of the gate because they're trying to do too much and i think the same applies here 
So we always advise a um, agile um, approach. So you know, lowercase a agile. So what what can we do to um, uh, you know to, to to get something out into the organization, to get some results back, to to prove effectiveness, to to start the to start the flywheel of change, uh, and then um, you know do the next thing based on that as well. Um, and and the final final point on this, uh, you know, keep these keep spilling out because there are quite a few watchouts. Um, but not trying to um, run before uh, you can crawl. So if you are an organisation that on that maturity spectrum that Kerry mentioned earlier, if you're at a level two, you know, you're doing some siloed um, kind of ad hoc things. All of a sudden, trying to focus your efforts on being, um, you know, out there in the market advocating and being a disruptor and and whatnot and and skipping several stages, um, that can often lead to some, um, you know, undesirable results as well yeah perfect okay next question and one i know you love how do we measure d and i with a ruler <laughs> that was a terrible joke. joke wasn't it oh my god um <laughs> so great so this is this is really really important and um for a number of reasons uh, so there are certain things. There are certain aspects of DEI that are, that are easier to measure, and and some that are that are more challenging and more tricky to measure. But showing progress, showing movement forward, is um, motivating and meaningful for many different individuals in the organisation for many many different reasons. So it's securing investment, it's proving effectiveness, and and, and it's also just knowing what we're doing. You know, knowing our efforts are are, are in the right place, and we're we're solving the right we're solving the right challenges in the organisation. So the how, um, we think about this on a, on a few different levels. So um, first of all, so you may have heard of leading and lagging indicators. Uh, we add another L in there. So we look at learning indicators. So looking at a specific intervention, be it a training, be it a workshop, be it a, you know, some, some coaching, how effective is that in the moment for people? So what are we, uh, you know, what, what feedback are we getting on, on what we're doing? Um, how are people experiencing it? And this can go beyond training. This can be changes to policy. This can be changes to structure. This can be, this can be any, any, you know, any of the different ways DE and I shows up, but what feedback are we getting on the, the actual thing we're doing? The second way of thinking about measuring it is the the, the leading indicators. So what um, you know, what impact is that having on people's behavior? So how are we thinking about uh, tracking and measuring behavior change? And there are a number of different ways we can do that with, with you know, different pieces of technology. Um, how are we thinking about um, the impact on things like, so if, if we're introducing, as Kerry mentioned before, say an inclusive hiring process, so A, a how is that process working? But then B, what what's the change in candidates we're getting as a as a result of that process are we are we attracting people from from more diverse backgrounds are they are they getting through to multiple stages and are we are we hiring them is the, is the composition of the organization changing so yeah how, how is it landing how is it actually implementing it uh, affecting the change we intended it to is it is it causing behavior change is it causing you know change in the diversity of the organization um and then ultimately what effect is that having gone uh, on on business results on 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 kind of effectiveness so you know uh, uh, are we getting better overall engagement scores uh, are we getting are people feeling more included um is the organization's capacity to innovate going up uh, is decision making um you know more effective um how are we perceived out there in the market and of course there are a number of different ways to measure all of that um rambled on for a little bit there Kerry anything I, uh, anything you wanted to add no just that it is pretty complex um, and as part of all of the work that we do we work on building measurement frameworks 
So getting really clear on how we're measuring it and what we're measuring, I think is really important. And we obviously do that at a specific initiative level, as well as looking at how you can then link it all the way back through to business results and, and just being very clear on, on what that looks like up front and on what you're trying to achieve and putting measurement and governance around all of that. Mm -hmm. Great. So next question we have, and we're getting to the getting to the bottom of the grab bag, but um, we can always uh, we can always do a round two on this if uh, you know if you the listener find this uh, find this valuable, so do let us know. Um, who should own DNI in organisations? Yeah, and we get asked this one a lot, and people I think want a really simple answer, and of course it isn't. Um, as with almost everything in this area, actually, nothing there's no real simple right and wrong answers, but. Um, it depends. And I think it links back to that maturity spectrum. So it depends where you're at and what you're trying to do as an organization. I think importantly, at early stages, you do have to have someone to really own and drive it. Because as we know, nothing happens if you don't have someone ultimately accountable and responsible. But when you're at that level three, which is the talent stage, it tends to be your talent lead or a head of DNI that's driving. When you move up to business strategy, it tends to be um, someone within the ELT, and that might be a head of DNI reporting into the CEO by that point. Um, but I think what's the most important part for me is, yes, you do need that ownership at early stages. But as we get higher in our maturity in DNI, the aim is that it becomes really embedded into everything at the, in the business. So it should become embedded into all of the people practices, embedded into your broader processes, embedded into people's day of day, day to day ways of working, embedded into how the leadership team think and they act. So over time, the ideal is that the role of the head of DNI, for example, becomes less one of having to drive a project and initiatives and more one of consulting and advisory. And again, that's how we work with organizations. We often go in and we're driving this. And then over time, you do get to a stage where it is it is embedded and you can see such a significant difference in the culture and in how people are thinking that you don't need that same level of drive from one person. It's actually happening naturally across the whole organization. And that's kind of wonderful to see. That's probably the part that's the most rewarding. There's a organization specifically that I'm thinking of where it's been a six month process to this point, but we're now at a stage where the steering group and actually more broadly across the organization, things are being shared pretty much every other day on Slack where people are seeing these things and it really resonates with them and they're like keeping it top of mind across the whole organization. People are constantly coming to us with ideas of things they can do and not in a, I need you to do it way. And this is something I'm going to do because I think it's amazing. And they're changing their own processes. And that's the, that's the point that you, you want to be able to get to. Mm. I guess a sort of follow on question there or a conversation we end up having in a lot of organizations around the ownership is, shouldn't the ownership be shared you know we're, we're, we're driving for inclusion you know shouldn't we, shouldn't everything come to the steering group or the or the committee or, or what have you and um as with anything in an organization any sort of function we want to get that range of different perspectives we want to get some inputs we want to stress test our ideas but but having especially in that early stages as Kerry said somebody who who owns it who is responsible for for driving the agenda who who is going to make things happen and and also who has some subject matter expertise as well very very importantly as well especially for organizations at the early stage um 
they're often engaging an organization like ours because they don't have the specific subject matter expertise so so somebody internally who 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 can be that you know uh, who can be that advisory function who who can consult in in different ways and how it shows up is super super important as well so um as carrie said before there's no one right answer here but um some some different ways to think about it perfect okay the final question we've got on our list and again we get this a lot and it comes from a really good place most of the time which is and I feel weird asking it, but I'm a, I'm a white man. How do I get engaged in this? I find it really hard to say anything because I'm worried I'm going to get it wrong, mm. but I want to help. What do I do? What is my, what is my role in a conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion? Yeah, it, it, it's a great question. And, and sort of, you know, as a, as a, as a white man, a uh, uh, kind of, I can, I can empathize with the um, empathize with this, uh, with this position and with this question. And, what we're really talking about if we if we sort of get get beneath the the surface on that question is you know as as the as the i guess the 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 group with the most power and privilege in this organization how do i show up to um to positively impact people with 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 less power with less privilege with um you know uh, with with pot potentially um you know more limited opportunities within the organization how do i help and and that how do I help mentality is is really the the, the kind of foundation and the starting point. And this isn't from a, a savior perspective. You know, this isn't a like I'm going to swoop in and fix everything. Um, and again, this this comes from a really really good place. But an interesting phenomenon we've noticed is whenever we put out a call to hey, who wants to come and join the DEI uh, steering group or, or working group in an organization, probably eighty percent of the people who put their hands up are, are white men. Um, and again, that's that's awesome. That comes from a that comes from a really good place. But you know, it, it can't be um, you know it can't be coming from this uh, you know it, this sort of white male white male savior. I'm going to come in and fix everything. So, um, how do you how do you show up as an ally? How do you create the environments for equity? How do we create inclusive environments? How do we seek out new opinions? Where are our blind spots? Um, what are the what are the questions we're not at, uh, what are the questions we're not asking? Where are we not comfortable? It starts with all of that introspection for for, for those individuals. It, it's it's kind of how do I how do I show up? Um, and and doing so and bringing it full circle back to the top of the conversation with this you know holding in mind these principles of humility curiosity and compassion as well so so acknowledging that i don't know what i don't know and that i'm on a journey and that we all have unconscious bias um you know if you're a human you have bias this is you know this is a, a fundamental truth of the universe this is just how we how we process information we we, we have to ha we have to hold bias so so w when we speak about bias we don't necessarily speak of it in uh you know in, in a negative in a negative way it can show up and have negative consequences absolutely but bias is a bias is a natural phenomenon so where am I questioning? Uh, where am I questioning my bias? Having that humility, having that curiosity to ask those questions, and then having the capacity, having the compassion again for yourself and, and for each other that you are going to get things wrong. You are going to you are going to potentially make missteps, and and that's part of that's part of a growth and learning journey. Always, always. Um, what's what's baked into change? What's baked into doing things differently? If we're doing something we haven't done before 
we have to make mistakes in order to improve. So if we if that if that's true, if we hold true that you know that that sentiment that we have to make mistakes in order to improve, we have to approach it with a sense of uh, compassion for ourselves and for each other. That hey, we're going to stumble, but 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 um, taking into account the intent. So you know the the positive intent that sits behind any of our our efforts in this space. So again, not an easy answer. Um, Kerry, any any other thoughts? Yeah, I guess just to take it back to some practical steps that you can take. So this the whole concept of allyship, which is about how do I use my position of advantage or privilege, if you want to use that term, to support people that have less advantage, privilege, opportunities, etc. So I guess some really practical things that you can do in that area are how do you bring different voices into conversations? So for example, if you're in a meeting, and we know that women tend to get talked over more than men in a meeting. So if you're in that scenario, how can, and the uh, person that's talked over doesn't feel confident to do so, drawing the conversation back to them. So I'd love us to take a moment and hear more from that person, for example. Um, also looking at the content that you consume. So we know that a lot of the content out there does come from people that look similar to you. So from white men. So how do you review? And this is something that um, one of our good friends talked to us about recently. He looked at his books and podcast collection and realized that 90% of the podcasts and books he was consuming were from white men. So how do you make a really conscious effort to start getting different perspectives into your worldview as well? And I think those small changes, so giving, enabling other voices and then looking at the content you're consuming and the type of voices you're consuming help to start that process that you were talking about feel about shifting your perspective mm, yeah absolutely absolutely well that brings us to the end of our grab bag of questions um so i guess a couple of couple of kind of frames and caveats that we didn't throw out at the start but i think are worth mentioning obviously you know every every situation is unique and what we've talked about today are some some quite general answers to, to some quite um you know quite pointy questions but um whenever we're working with organizations um you know th these these are common and, and if these are questions you have we'd love to have a conversation you know if, if you've got if, if you've got something that you're like hang on that that resonated but i've got a i've got a few follow-on questions about our specific circumstances then um you can you can give us a shout and we'll be happy to answer um and also what did we miss as well so you know as part of as part of kind of walking our talk we fully recognize that in the answers we gave today and you know a fairly short podcast there's probably some stuff we left out there's probably some stuff that we um that you know you might have a difference of opinion on so if you do um give us a shout we'd love to have a conversation with you and we'd love to hear your perspective yeah we geek out on talking about this we um spend a lot of our lives talking both with clients and each other about this stuff. So we'd, we'd love, really welcome a, a conversation on any of it. Great. Cool. Um, any other bits and bobs or um, we good to close out, Kerry? No, I think so. I think just a closing thought for me is the most important thing in diversity and equity and inclusion is being able to have the conversations. And sometimes they're uncomfortable and we need to get comfortable with having them because without that, there's just a huge huge blocker so leaning into that discomfort trying to be brave linking back to that humility curiosity and compassion that we talk about and yeah just just stepping into the space as, as much as you're able yeah because once you do it's it's a it's a fascinating space you, you learn so much about yourself you learn so much about other people and um you know as part of the human journey we're all on we're all on team human um it's uh yeah it's it's fascinating so awesome all right well um 
Thanks, Kerry. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community. Music